0: Happy Thanksgiving Eve. Mm-hmm. If you are like 55 and a half million other people, then you might be on the road right now, one way, shape, or form. Uh, that's how many Americans are traveling this um, this holiday weekend. 55 and a half million Americans. Among them, according to Life360, which just sent an alert to my phone, my mom and stepdad, Ruth, Ann, and Ron are now on the road. So uh, hopefully they're listening. If so, travel mercies upon you. Now, see, that travel mercies is what I want to talk about here for just a moment. So we're trying to get home to loved ones and um, and loving the ones that we're already with. So, you know, in terms of who's traveling in my family, you know, there's the the crew that has, has been traveling and arrived yesterday from Tucson. Eliana got home last night in time for dinner from uh, from college Um my mom and Ron and Mia are all on the road today. Ben and Mary Scarlett are going to head today to Arkansas to be with her grandparents. And that's just in our, like, little family. There will also be the scurrying about all over town because, you know, this part of the family needs to go see that, that other side of their family. You know how families are, right? Some of us do the Thanksgiving shuffle, like, right, oh, we got to get over there. We got to get there. Okay, we're going to do brunch there, and then we're going to do lunch there, and then we're going to do the Thanksgiving meal um, you know, over there at grandma's house as well. And then we're going to, you know, jump back here for the pie. We got, we can't get to so-and-so's house, so we're going to do leftovers with them on Friday. That is how we arrive at the 4,500 calories. I figured it out. It's not at one sitting in one place. It's because we do this crazy thing where we like try to hit every, you know, everybody on Thanksgiving Day. So, <clears throat> yeah, maybe, um, maybe if you don't have a plan yet, find somewhere in your town or city where a Thanksgiving meal is being served to people who don't otherwise have somewhere to go, and you volunteer. Mm -hmm. Volunteer. You could probably serve in the parking lot. You could serve as a greeter. You could serve serving food. You could serve washing dishes. You could serve carrying out the trash. All kinds of ways to serve tomorrow. Um, And so Let's not be people who grouse about being by ourselves. Let's go figure out how to be with somebody else. That's that's my encouragement today. So, if you're like me, you are praying traveling mercies over someone. Uh last night, uh in my little in in one little text group of women that I am a part of, uh we were praying for um let me scroll back here. You know, <laughs> there's there's whole there's all the My husband's sister's husband's son. See, yeah, travel mercies. Travel mercies in the a.m., right? And then let's pray travel mercies over nephew Andrew, um, who was traveling from Norfolk where he serves at the Navy base. He's going to surprise his grandma. So will you pray travel mercies over him? Travel mercies. Lots of travel mercies prayers. And so I thought, you know what? Let's pause. Let's talk for a moment about the practice of praying for travel mercies because I do think that um, it's a thing. I do it. You might do it. And so, is it a thing that has been done by Christians over the course of time, or is travel mercies something that's actually kind of like newfangled in terms of prayers? So, um, I looked, and it, it appears that the first like written reference to this phrase, travel mercies, was actually missionaries reporting that the Lord provided, quote, traveling mercies as they headed to their destination. So that would be the late 19th century, so the late 1800s. The first preserved written evidence of the phrase comes in a 1956 book, they shall not march alone. So there, the chaplain is praying traveling mercies on behalf of a soldier. So I'll admit, I was a little surprised um, that it's not a phrase that's in the Bible. (laughs) People, People in times when it was far more perilous to travel than the times in which we live, uh, didn't pray traveling mercies, just to let you know. I got looking. The apostles carried the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and did not record prayers for travel mercies. (laughs) I mean, at least not in the way that we pray them today. They just lived with the expectation of storms and disruptions and delays and inconveniences and layovers and weather and hoodlums and thieves and pirates they did not expect God to deliver them or protect them from what everyone in the world experiences all the time. They understood that the sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The things they did ask for? Well, Paul asked Titus to diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that they would be um, lacking in nothing. So that's a, that's a provision prayer. In the book of Romans, um, Paul wrote, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped by you on my journey um, there. So, Paul, again, that's a prayer for provision. I hope you're going to supply for my needs along the way. But in his request for prayer, Paul never asked other believers to pray for his like, safety, to pray for his, quote, traveling mercies. So um, now, if you are a person who is fond of proof texting, you might be saying, well, I mean, you know, in 3 John, uh, John writes, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. Um, But he's writing to a stationary church. He's he's not writing to or about somebody that's like on the road. Perhaps the most helpful um, passage of Scripture that I could offer up here in terms of traveling mercies is from um, the book of James. James actually did write regarding travel plans. He says, uh, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Well, that's how you, um, that's what you say. Like, those are the things that you say, but you don't know. You don't know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. (laughs) Again, I'm not sure this is a, a particularly helpful travel mercy prayer. I'm just offering it up as the one I could find. Um, James is like, you, you know, you you appear for a little while and then you vanish away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is against the will of God. So I want us to be praying today in the will of God and for the will of God, for his mercies new every morning in which we can be confident, just recognizing that um, what we ought to be expecting on the road, whichever direction we're headed today, is that God would go before us and God would go with us and God um, will go behind us and that there's nothing that we're going to encounter that's going to surprise God, but that we ought to expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, um, knowing that whatever happens, God's going to use it for our growth um, and that we might have a gospel opportunity along the way. That's, I think, what we ought to be praying Yes, a divine hedge of protection. Yes, for alertness and patience and grace. Yes, absolutely. Grace all sufficient. But also that the Lord would use whatever we see as a problem or a travel disruption or even a tragedy to bring us into contact with other people who otherwise would never hear the gospel. Because that's who we are and that's what we do as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. Jerry Jenkins is going to join us next. We are going to talk about the latest in the Chosen Novel series. All, um, and I Will Give You Rest. It's volume number three um, in the series of companion novels that Jerry is writing alongside his son, Dallas Jenkins, hit series, The Chosen. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. It's really fun to have Jerry Jenkins back with us again. You already know him. He's written more than 200 books. He's got 21 New York Times bestsellers. Some of my favorites were the Left Behind series, which was in times fiction that I would say like is a generation ago and yet so very timely. He's joining us today to talk with us about the latest in The Chosen series of novels. This is novel number three, The Chosen, and I Will Give You Rest. Jerry Jenkins, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Always great to be with you.
0: So can we start with, um, go back in time a little bit, and the Left Behind series? Um, I will confess to you, I read them um, in early college, my early college years, and I I will say, it ignited a holy imagination in me that persists to today. Um, are Are you feeling like... There was some um, some there are some things happening today, even that people are like, you know what, I need to go back and reread those.
1: Yeah. And, and that's happening. It's, it's amazing. It's hard to believe. I mean, I think I have socks older than you, but um, I, the first title of the Left Behind series actually came out 28 years ago this year. And that series, you know, it's sold 63 plus million is still selling to this day about 15,000 units a month. And people are, you know, there's renewed interest, and they're saying, what is happening in Israel, and is this part of prophecy? And of course it is. I mean, the prophecies say that Israel will be be attacked on all sides, and then to watch for the great bear of the north and and the army from the east. Now, Dr. Lahaye has been gone for seven years, but he believed, and I tend to agree, that the great bear is Russia, and the army from the east is China. So... I just urge people to keep an eye on those, two. Now, we don't know the day or the hour. Not even the Son of Man knows the day or the hour, he he said. And uh, so it's sort of folly for us to try to pick a date or a day or time. But we're heading for something. And, uh, you know, in God's economy of time, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So if he in his mercy waits one more day, that could be a thousand more of our years. But on the Hmm. other hand, it could be today
0: amen my uh my wicks are trimmed and my uh my lantern is filled with fuel
1: <sighs>
0: i hope he finds me busy when he arrives that is my uh that's my heart's desire he's certainly going to find you busy um let's talk about this writing career um you started writing when you were a teenager it's impossible for you to have imagined that uh, you would god would have given you so much to say over so many years in so many ways um but just I don't maybe just reflect on that for a moment, like the the gift of the writing life.:
1: Yeah, it, it has been an incredible ride, and um, you know, I, I started my professional writing career because I got paid for what I wrote. At age 14, I, I talked my way into a sports writing job at a local paper, and they didn't know I was too young to even drive. My mother had to drive me to, to ball games so I could write. You know, and then back to the to the newspaper office to write, and I'd make ten or twelve dollars for an, an article, and thought I was in pretty high cotton at that point. But at about age sixteen, I I heard a message at, at camp about the fact that all Christians need to be full time Christians, but some actually make their living serving God, and are called to full time Christian work. And I felt that call, and I remember thinking clearly, uh, I'm going to have to give up the writing and and study to be a pastor or a missionary. And I went forward to to make that commitment. And the the wife of the speaker was the counselor that night. And and I told her my story. And she said, don't be too quick to give up the writing because God often equips us before he calls us. And he may use that vehicle to help you fulfill this call to full-time Christian ministry. And obviously, that's what's happened. And it changed my whole view of success, too, because most writers, their success is based on bestsellers, big royalty checks, nice reviews, letters from readers, etc. Now, I've seen all that. I've had all that and enjoyed it. But that's never been the goal. The goal has been to succeed through obedience. All I want to do is fulfill the call. So when I finish writing the manuscript, As my son Dallas would say, that's my five loaves and two fish. I'm not the one to do the multiplying. I can't make it sell, make people like it, you know, have money come in, get great reviews. That's all up to the marketplace and, of course, up to God. And it really takes a lot of pressure off me. But I I have felt blessed over the years. This is my 50th year as a published author. So Mm. um, I I just feel really blessed to, to be able to serve that way.
0: That is extraordinary. Um, you're you're making my job really easy because you made mention of Dallas, one of your three grown, grown sons. We all now know him as the uh, creator and the co-writer, the director of the Chosen, the television series. Um, talk with us about this collaborative project that you have ongoing. So this is novel three in the chosen series. Um this this collaboration is pretty unique and I just I just love that God's given you the gift of working with Dallas on this. So can you just talk about the entire project and then we'll get into this specific book?
1: Yeah, you can imagine what a thrill it is to be able to work with with my son. Um and I helped him get started in his in his movie career, you know, a couple of decades ago. And uh, but this project, this idea is all his, and so I feel like I'm sort of pressing my nose up against the glass and saying, "Can I play too?" And <laughs> uh, the, of course, the joke in our family is that he used to be known as Jerry Jenkins' son, and now I'm known as Dallas Jenkins' father. And may it ever be so. I mean, I couldn't be more thrilled. People ask Diana and me every day uh, how proud we must be of Dallas and what he's done, and we we love to say we're really as proud of who he is as as what he's done, because he's become a man of God. And the fact that 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 phenomenons hit the same family within a uh, a generation um, with with left behind being, you know, as as old as it is, I was the same age then as Dallas is now. And hmm. so it's allowed me to counsel him on on writing this phenomenon and, and how you just kind of have to hold on tight and, and stick to the knitting. But uh, he came up with the with the idea, and um, and I, I asked if if he could use a novel to go along with each season, sort of deconstructing it. Usually, film and TV is based on the the book. Well, this one is based on the Bible, and the and the novels that I write for each season are based on the the, the series itself. So I'm kind of going backwards, but I I have the fun of adding inner monologue and character motivation and. And and more plausible imagination, uh, that's what that's what Dallas and his co-writers do so well with the series. They take the truth of Scripture, and when they get to those true parts, the the part of sermons and, and miracles, they depict those exactly the way we would imagine them from the Bible. But they use their creative imaginations to say. Here's how, what might have led up to that. And it's not crazy stuff. We're not, we don't have Jesus on a rocket ship or going to a different continent or, or being, a, being somebody that's, that violates his character. It's plausible stories that make him relatable and make the disciples relatable. And I think that's the genius of it. So I have great fun um, sort of deconstructing that and, and doing the novels, too.
0: If you have seen um, the most recent season of The Chosen, then you are familiar with a plot line that runs, um, runs throughout, and it's a conversation about pregnancy loss. So I'm going to ask Jerry about that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with author Jerry Jenkins. You can connect with him and lots of really great resources at jerryjenkins.com. We'll continue our conversation about Novel 3 in The Chosen series, and I will give you rest. We'll be right back. Thanks so much
1: for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Suzy Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to
0: podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Continuing our conversation with author Jerry Jenkins, you can find him at jerryjenkins.com. Uh the book is The Chosen and I Will Give You Rest. It's novel 3 in the Chosen series. Um talk with us about this this storyline um of pregnancy loss. I mean obviously that is not a, that is not something drawn directly from scripture, but the experience of it um of Peter's sweet wife and then obviously the uh, peter and the extended um company uh in the in the story this this had to be interesting to write
1: it really was and uh you know again this is sort of the genius of dallas and his co-writers one thing we know from scripture is that peter was married because it says that his mother-in-law fell ill and jesus healed her so we know he was married that's all, all we know we don't know her name we don't know what their relationship was like, but we know it was first century. And a lot of people in the first century, we know this from research, um, had trouble with pregnancies and had miscarriages and that type of thing. So this happens to, to, to Peter and Eden in the story. And, you know, there are some who will say, well, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. How, you know, how dare you add to or take away from the gospel? Well, it, it doesn't take away or add to anything to the gospel message. It just is a plausible um, you know, extrapolation of what a relationship might have been like and what struggles they might have faced. So instead of having Simon Peter as a stained glass window character or a, a statue or a, a man with a big gray beard who marches everywhere and speaks in King James English like we usually see on screen, um, we say, look, this this is a young man who had a brother, who had a wife, who w- was... Uh, a dynamic person. He had a temper. I mean, that's clear in scripture. He was a hard driver. So what might've happened? What might've led up to to his, you know, the the kind of unique relationship he had with Jesus. And so I think the idea of, of her losing a child, and then him being a typical husband, even, even today, who maybe comes back from a, a big trip, like he's gone on with Jesus and is a little insensitive to Eden. She doesn't even feel like she can tell him she's lost a child while he was gone. And so there's that tension. That's that that marital tension. It's not a deal breaker, but it's, it's tense. And then when he finds out that she's lost a child and he's been with Jesus and seen him perform miracles and even seen him raise someone from the dead, naturally he wonders why them and not us. What, why do we have to suffer when I'm serving the Messiah, um, the Creator God, who could do it, can do anything, and that makes for incredible tension and conflict, which is the really the engine of fiction. But it also allows us to relate with these characters. That's to, to me, that's the beauty of this: that readers and viewers can say, "I've been there," whether you've lost a child or lost something else. Maybe you lost a home. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost, you know, another loved one. These characters are relatable. They're not stained glass window people anymore. So that's, that's been a a real fun thing to be involved in. And we feel blessed to be able to share it.
0: Yeah. I just, when I think about just, 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 I can talk about it statistically, but I can also talk about it from um, members of my own family and friends, uh, but one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And no. so you're talking about an experience that an extraordinary percentage of people have and have had, and I felt like the um, allowing um, her mom to be such a kind and present um, person in the midst of her suffering was just such a gift as well it's um it's it's a it's an extraordinary storyline in this season, and you have dealt with it well in the novel as well. And I just, I wanted to lift that up in our conversation and say, thank you for doing something that I know must have been difficult, but is extraordinarily important in terms of a storyline that resonates with a lot of people.
1: It, it it was difficult. You know, of all people, it was the poet Robert Frost who, who said, if there are no tears in the writer, there'll be no tears in the reader. Believe me, there were tears in the writer. I mean, I have not suffered this uh, loss of a child, but I have friends and relatives who have and know how deep that pain can be. And uh, so it's it's tough stuff. And you know, th- this is the thing that I appreciate so much about Dallas and his co-writers. The, the sequence is already there. That makes my job easier. But also these, you know, inventing these stories of what people go through and making them plausible I mean, we've got a, a disciple that that uh, has a physical ailment and wonders why he hasn't been healed, and Jesus tells him why. We have a disciple, you know. They, they they imagined that Matthew, the tax collector, might have been on the spectrum. He might have had Asperger's or or even been autistic before they knew what to call it. Uh, Dallas has a daughter who's autistic, and so he's sympathetic to that. And just thought, you know, here's a guy. He's a numbers guy. He's brilliant, but he's ostracized. That sounds like somebody that could be on the spectrum. Scripture doesn't say he was or that he was that quirky or anything, but it works for the story. And so many people have written to Dallas and, and his uh, his team about how their autistic children or or children with Asperger's are drawn to that Matthew character and really uh, mag- magnetized toward the story because of that. So it's been, it's, it's been a privilege.
0: I have an autistic uh, granddaughter. And so, um, yes, we are very, very appreciative of the of the representation of um, of what in our family, you know, our Emma's concerns, and so thank you, thank you so much for that. All right, we got a couple of minutes. Why don't you extend an invitation to all of the aspiring writers out there, the frustrated ones, the the ones that don't think they have enough time to write, the ones that need a checklist. Um, invite them to jerryjenkins.com to get the tools they need, and uh, and invite them to a course.
1: Well, I appreciate that. We we do have uh, I have the Jerry Jenkins Writers Guild and uh, and many courses that people can can buy, but also for people who just aren't sure, they just think they might want to look into this. All kinds of freebies. We you know, just go to jerryjenkins.com and and sign up. Um, you get daily writing tips, you get free blogs, and then other things that you can look at and see if you want to invest in. But the one thing I appreciate that you brought up the fact that people don't feel they have time to write. Nobody has time to write, myself (laughs) included. You don't have the time. You don't find the time. You make the time. You have to give up something else in your schedule. Nowadays, everyone is busy 24-7. And so just decide how important is this to you. If it's important to you to be published, you're going to need to learn the craft and give up something else. Maybe it's an hour of sleep a night. I wouldn't give up more than that because you need to be well-rested but maybe it's a favorite tv show that you binge watch and you you could invest that time writing instead of watching maybe it's parties or concerts or friends that you interact with you know maintain your priorities keep your family you know straight i i always say never sacrifice your family on the altar of your dream but we've got lots of stuff we can we can offer and i just feel so blessed in this career it's been 50 years since i was published the first time and uh, I like to celebrate that by just paying it forward and, and uh, sharing everything I've learned and, and hope to see a lot of other people come, come behind and become published.
0: So good. Thank you so much. Um, it's always a delight to talk with you. We look forward to um, the next season. Um, I, you know We're already getting indications of exactly when that's going to be and how to watch it. So I'm sure you're already dutifully working on um, the next novel
1: as well. Believe it or not, I have finished the novel for season four, so I know everything that's coming. I can't Uh tell you anything, but it's going to be fantastic. And, uh, you know, you always make it easy, Carmen. It was great to be on with you. Thanks.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's such a joy. It's just a real honor to talk with you. That's Jerry Jenkins. You can connect with him online. Lots of great writer's resources at jerryjenkins.com. The uh, the newest novel in the Chosen series is Novel 3, and I will give you rest. Hey, there are some headlines today that we want to unpack um, in the time that we have left together this morning. So let's do that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio, and it looks as if there might be a deal to release some of the hostages. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, a couple of quick um, uh, headlines this morning. If, uh, if you haven't heard yet, it does appear as if Israel and the terrorist organization Hamas have agreed to um, a four-day pause in fighting in order that um, Hamas would release upwards of 50 women and children among the estimated 240 people held hostage in Gaza So um, Hamas announced it on Telegram that the deal includes the release of 150 Palestinian women and teenagers from Israeli prisons. As well as um, increased entry of trucks for humanitarian relief, medical and fuel aid to all areas of the Gaza Strip. Qatar um, has been mediating the talks. They have confirmed a deal for, quote, humanitarian pause, adding that the starting time of the pause will be announced Within the next 24 hours, I'm going to explain to you in a moment why that 24-hour period of time is important. Israel, um, for its part, um, said in a statement that uh, at least 50 women and children among the estimated 240 people held hostage in Gaza by Hamas and other terrorist organizations would be released um, in a deal involving a four-day pause in fighting, the first— cessation in fighting since Israel launched an air ground assault on the Gaza Strip um, following Hamas's October 7th invasion attack um, during which these hostages were taken. So there are some 240 people still held hostage, some of them by Hamas, some of them by other um, Islamic jihadist organizations, some of them by what Hamas is describing as gangs and thugs. So it's not it does not appear as if Hamas is in control of all 240 of the hostages. And the Red Cross is involved in this process as well. The hope being that once these uh, once these initial um, this initial group of individuals, some 50 women and children. And again, it's going to be in groups of 10, it sounds like, over the course of what would then be five days Israel has said it would continue the pause beyond the beyond the four or the five days um, for as many days as 10 or more people were released. And so you could imagine that in, let's say, 24 days, all 240 people being held hostage might be released. And that might also render a 24 day pause in the fighting. So you can see how this is working itself out. I don't think anybody expects that particular outcome Um no one expects all the hostages to be released in a twenty four day period of time i just I just don't think that's a part of um of the conversation so let's be praying uh, that god that God preserve this um, this agreement and that at least these fifty uh, women and children among the hostages are are able to return home um now that leads us to the twenty four hour period of time like why won't they be released today so under Israeli law the Palestinian uh, individuals who are currently incarcerated in Israeli prisons who are a part of this basic basically swap prisoners for hostages the Palestinians um actually committed credible crimes against Israelis in Israel and so these prisoners um there are victims of their crimes. And so under Israeli law, there's a 24-hour period of time during which any citizen of Israel who is a victim of one of the crimes for which these Palestinians are currently incarcerated in Israel, there's a 24-hour period of time during which they can appeal to the Supreme Court for those people not to be released. And so once that 24-hour period expires, or once the Supreme Court says these these are the Palestinians who are going to be released for these hostages, regardless of the ongoing concerns related to the crimes these individuals committed, Um, then the process will proceed. So that's why there's this 24-hour hold, essentially, from the time that the Israeli government signed, you know, inked inked the agreement um, to the— to the point when the clock starts ticking in terms of the actual exchange of individuals. In, um, in brighter news, I mean, that is happy news, but it's still 50 of 240. There's still a lot of people going to continue to be held hostage on the other side of this agreement. So we continue to um, pray that those working for their release would find success. The White House Christmas tree arrived. Um, you, you're you're going to hear that all over the news today. You're going to see the footage. It's it's a joyous annual occasion, Um, so much fun. You're going to hear it announced that the tree came from the Klein Church Farm in North Carolina, and that might provoke you to ask: Is it a church that's growing these trees? (laughs) No, it's a guy named Klein Church and his wife Ellen Church. So uh, Klein and Ellen Church were teenagers when in the early 1970s, they actually started preparing land and planting um, what would become their dream farm in Fleetwood, North Carolina. So this is the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, They simply started out with seedlings that they purchased from the North Carolina Forestry Service. And by 1977, the Klein Church Nursery was a formal entity. They harvested their first trees in 1981. Literally a two-person outfit, planting tiny seedlings, nurturing them along, cultivating them over the course of years, and then um, uh, cutting them and hauling them off to anybody that would buy them. They called it, you know, the period of time in which we peddled trees. We peddled trees up into southern Ohio. We peddled trees uh, across the East Coast. We were funding our dream. We wanted to be Christmas tree farmers. Um, and so, what began as a really small operation now is a five hundred acre tree farm um, with many employees and a second generation of churches, a second generation of the church family, now Amber and Alex, um, who have a passion to to continue and so we just wanted to I just wanted to celebrate that hard work, that faithfulness, that generational commitment to a dream and to planting and sowing and growing and harvesting and sharing with others. And so maybe you were going to consider getting a live Christmas tree this year. Um, Consider buying it from a family farm like this. Um, Consider, you know, consider making the extra effort to get your Christmas tree from somebody whose dream it has always been to be Christmas tree farmers. Like, I just think that is so sweet and, um, uh, and thought a a story worthy of telling uh, this morning. As we move into um, Thanksgiving. So it's Thanksgiving Eve. I don't know if you've, you know, if you haven't noticed that, traffic's going to be bad and it's not a good day to go to the grocery store. So um, even if, you know, Wednesday's always your day to go to the grocery, like this is probably not the Wednesday to go to the grocery. I'm just going to just go and lead with that. I feel kind of strongly about that. I did go to the grocery yesterday at four o'clock and I will say I was not alone. I was not alone. However, I will also say, Grocery stores are prepared for you today. They are absolutely 100% prepared. Every every hand on deck. So there you go. Um, first Thanksgiving proclamation. I thought this was worthy of sharing today. The first Thanksgiving proclamation was issued in, on June the 20th in 1676. And you're going to say to yourself, wait just a minute. That's not the first uh Thanksgiving proclamation for the United States of America? No, but it is the first one issued by a governing council in what is now the United States of America. So the governing council of Charlestown, Massachusetts, held a meeting on June the 20th, 1676, because they wanted to express thanks for the good fortune um, of their community. And, um, And so by unanimous vote, they instructed Edward Rawson, their clerk, to proclaim June the 29th as a day of Thanksgiving. Um, And then that proclamation was reproduced um, for many other people in many other places. So um, I uh, I want to take a moment to read the Thanksgiving Day proclamation from June the 20th, 1676. The Holy God, having by a long and continual series of his dispensations in and by the present war, um, written and brought to pass bitter things against his own covenant people in this wilderness. Yet, so that we evidently discern that in the midst of his judgments, God hath hath remembered his mercy, having remembered the footstool on this day, um, and having having forgotten his displeasure against us for our sins, with many singular Uh, intimations of his fatherly compassion and regard, reserving many of our towns from desolation threatened and attempted by the enemy and giving us especially of late with many of our confederates, many signal advantages against them without such disadvantage to ourselves as formerly we have been sensible of. And if it be the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, it certainly bespeaks our positive thankfulness. When our enemies are in any measure disappointed or destroyed and fearing the Lord should take notice under so many um, intimations of His returning mercy that we should be found an in, uh, an insensible people as not standing before Him with thanksgiving, as well as lauding Him um, with our complaints in the time of pressing afflictions. So the council has thought to meet to appoint and set apart the twenty ninth day of this month, June, as a day of solemn thanksgiving and praise to God for such His goodness and favor many particulars of which mercy might be instanced, but we doubt not uh, those that are sensible of God's afflictions, having been as diligent to espy him returning to us, and that the Lord may behold us a people offering praise and thereby glorifying him. So it goes on and on and on to talk to uh, ministers and elders within the jurisdiction to solemnly and seriously keep and beseech others to keep and beseech and pray with thanksgiving, um, on this particular day set apart. And you say to yourself, there's just a lot of that language you don't even understand. Yeah, I think that's the point. Can you imagine your town council acknowledging the difficulties that your town is facing um, and acknowledging that God is the one who brought you through whatever difficulties and acknowledging that the afflictions that lie ahead are but like headwinds in the face of a merciful God? I mean, I, 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 just, I just think it's worth giving pause to the fact that we don't talk like this anymore. We don't think like this anymore. We don't elect people to serve even in our community councils who think or speak like this anymore. So let us be the people who think like this and speak like this as we approach Thanksgiving and approach the Lord our God, even in the midst of troubling times, that we would set apart a day, ourselves in a day, set it apart as holy unto the Lord. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, and so many of you are asking, all right, how about the first proclamation of Thanksgiving for the whole United States of America? Well, that would be by the president of the United States, George Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, 1789 would be the year we are looking at. Signed under the hand uh, in the city of New York on the third day of October, 1789. Here is the Thanksgiving proclamation from the President of the United States, George Washington. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint commitment, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that ever will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable uh, interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war for the great degree of tranquility, union and plenty, which we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one. So he's talking about the brand new constitution of the United States, by the way, particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge. And in general, for all the great and various favors, which God have, has been pleased to confer upon us. And also that we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of the nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to, perpor- to perform Our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all people by constantly being a government of wise, just and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us and to bless them with good government, good peace and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as God alone knows is best. Given under my hand at the city of New York the third day of October, the year of our Lord, 1789. Is that the kind of Thanksgiving proclamation you could imagine reading today from the President of the United States? It's actually been a fairly long time since that particular kind of proclamation has been issued but I think that the proclamation from Abraham Lincoln is worth reading as well. And so this is um, a proclamation of Thanksgiving by the, president, by the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and hearthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source of them, Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all other nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed. And harmony has prevailed everywhere, except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines as well of iron and coal as of precious metals have yielded an even more even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things, they are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath none the less remembered his own mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole of the American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens above. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to God for such singular deliverance and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national um, perverseness and disobedience, commend to God's tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers, in the lamentable civil strife in which we unavoidably engaged. And fervently employ the the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and restore it as soon as may be consistent with his divine purposes and will to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. How about your city, your state, our nation, your family, you? What is your Thanksgiving proclamation in this year, 2023? of the Lord our God. Let us give thanks to God for he is good. Let us remember God's indescribable gifts. Let us celebrate together with thanksgiving. Let us enter his courts with praise. Let us count ourselves blessed even as we count our blessings. And yes, let us beseech God to deliver us from evil, giving him the glory and the honor due his name now and forevermore. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. Have a great day and God bless.